Tier Report podcast. We are doing yet another live edition. Paul Fritscher, Rick Roaring with you, and a host of other Xavier fans are going to be taking calls all night long. We are recording this, so if you're listening back to it, we'll make sure that the uh, the calls are included. This will just be recorded all the way through. You'll be able to listen back on Twitter or in the podcast feed like normal. Coming off uh, Xavier, a mixed a mixed bag this week for Xavier. A loss against DePaul and a win over the weekend against Georgetown. That again, it was it was a shaky win for Xavier at home, but they get the job done. We'll talk about all that and more in this episode. But Rick, let's start with DePaul and what went wrong for Xavier against DePaul this past week. Uh, going into the week, we thought that this would be, or it, it really was, the easiest week left on Xavier's schedule when you look at the way that the rest of the season is shaking out. Xavier has DePaul and Villanova at home in the middle of February. But other than that stretch, this really was far and away the easiest back-to-back uh, set for Xavier the rest of the way. And Xavier only went 1-1 one and one in this stretch, now sitting at 8-1 and one in conference play, 16-4 and four overall in the season. Xavier hasn't won more than eight conference games since the 2019 season. They matched that total of eight. Now already just nine games into the season, so well on their way to uh, surpassing that total. But Rick, let's start with DePaul and and maybe your your initial thoughts on DePaul. What went wrong and what you can take away from it, if anything? Well, I think anytime you have your two best players shoot the way Colby Jones and Sule Boom did in this game, it's going to be tough to win. And that's where a, a lot of the struggles in that game stop and end. I mean. The defense wasn't great, of course, but the defense hasn't been good in most games, and they've been able to outscore those problems. The difference in this game is the offense wasn't very efficient, and you had guys struggling to make layups. I mean, Sule Boom and Colby Jones were four for 26 in this game, and both of them missed multiple really easy finishes right at the basket. And There's games where you see your better players have off-shooting nights, and they're not making jumpers, or the open threes aren't going down for whatever reason. This was even more than that. Like, these guys could not make layups around the basket. So I thought that had a lot to do with Xavier's issues in this DePaul game. And, and part of what happened is when they weren't able to score consistently, it allowed DePaul to get out in transition and run and play against a defense that wasn't set more often. And that's where Xavier really ran into some issues on the defensive end. Yeah, Xavier led early in this game, but then didn't lead again until there were less than two minutes left in the game. And this was a game that kind of it, it kind of felt Rick like the Kentucky and Tennessee game from the week before, where Tennessee got out to a real early lead, and Kentucky fought back and controlled it most of the way, went on to win that game. This gave me the same type of vibes where DePaul got down early, Xavier was up, I think it was seven nothing, and you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, this game's over, it's a, you're cruising your way up there in Chicago, and then all of a sudden, DePaul they make a run, they're right back into it, and they controlled this game most of the way. Do you think that looking at this game and, and comparing it to the whole season, do you think that this game is a blip on the radar for Xavier Rick, or is this something bigger that the Musketeers should be more concerned about? Well, it's not a blip on the radar because, I mean, they've had some of these defensive issues all season long, those types of things. The the scoring standpoint, I mean, you're not going to have Sule Boom and Colby Jones play that poorly on the same night very often. So that's a little bit of an aberration. but. The issues they had defensively, I think, you know, that's exactly what we saw again the next game against Georgetown is they have struggled to guard opposing point guards. And I think DePaul came in with a good plan, which is the plan a lot of teams are are utilizing against Xavier. You don't need to run a lot of set plays. 
you don't need to be uh, very tricky or running smoke and mirrors type actions here. It's basically just put Xavier in a high ball screen or the thing a lot of teams have really liked to, to do against this, the Xavier team is the Spain pick and roll. That's become really popular where you set initial ball screen and then another screener comes up and screens for the screener. So it creates that extra level of confusion for the defense where it's like, okay, one of these guys is going to roll. The other guy is going to pop and you've still got to worry about stopping the ball on the driver, which Xavier struggles mightily with. So it's like, you've got three things going on there and just that very simple action that you have to figure out. And not only is Xavier struggling to figure out the communication at times to get out on the the roll and the pop guy, but they're also having to just stop the initial ball handler and, and they can't do that very often. So, uh, that's exactly what DePaul did. They picked on Sule Boom. They were going to guard to guard screens at times to get him on a, a different matchup after a switch. And um, he wasn't the only guy who had issues. Adam Kunkel got beat a lot. Desmond Claude got beat. There were even a few times in the second half where they beat Colby Jones one on one. So everybody has got to improve, but there's no doubt that teams are going right after Sule Boom and just putting him in constant ball screen and isolation actions. Yeah, Emoji Gibson had 22 points in the game. And Great Charles Bronson on the Xavier message board, one of the message board's best posters. He put together a compilation of all of the point guards that Xavier has played against in high major competition. And right now, in the 13 games that Xavier has played against high major teams, opposing point guards are averaging 22.5 points, almost five rebounds, and over five assists, and shooting almost 42% from three in those games. To me, Rick, that doesn't really set up as a uh, as a recipe for success to put it mildly well it's almost crazy to look at when you see those numbers and and he basically eliminated the buy games from it it was all just high major opponents Xavier's gotten torched by essentially every single high major point guard that they've played and you're right that's going to be really tough and and part of what it it's what is happening now is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy right like you, you go into film you watch film and your coaches are saying, look, they can't guard you. You're going to torch them. We're going to run these few simple things and you're going to get any shot you want. And then you're in practice going scout team. Your coaches are hyping you up the whole week telling you this is going to be your night. And you go into the game with a lot of confidence, knowing that your coaches want you to attack the opposing point guard and go one on one and take as many shots as possible. So that's exactly what you do. And I think you're seeing some of these guys uh, like the DePaul and Georgetown game. These guys are coming out with a lot of confidence and just going right after Sule and and, you know, Xavier's guards, there's the issue of there's some physical limitations here. Like Sule is giving up a lot of weight. He's not very tall. Uh, sometimes it's just easy to shed him and, and shoot over him. Adam Kunkel, similar thing. He's not very quick, not very athletic, not the biggest guy out there, giving up some strength. Zach Fremantle struggles defensively, struggles laterally at times. So there are some issues that they've got to make up for physically. But there's also just the, the standpoint of they get screened way too often. I know that sounds um, like maybe it's being nitpicky or too hard, but like if you watch on, on some of these ball screens, Sule Boom takes like four or five seconds to get around some of these guys. He just dies when he gets contacted on a screen. It's like, that can't happen. You can't be completely out of the play for three seconds because you got screened. Um, and, and he's not the only one. He, he's getting picked on a lot here because we've seen him the most the last two games get picked on. But um, the, the issue is when you have that going on, then a guy like Colby Jones is now not only trying to pay attention to his matchup, which is usually the best or one of the best players on the opposing team, but he's also feeling like I've got to make up for this weak link defensively and get over here to help Sule or Adam out a little bit. And, and then he's getting out of position and he's getting beat a little bit more often too. So 
it's really been kind of a domino effect or whack-a-mole effect here for the Xavier defense. Yeah, Moja Gibson went for 22 in that DePaul game, and then Primo Spears, I mean, he he was basically getting anything he wanted. He had 37 in the Georgetown game on Saturday afternoon, and Sean Miller talked about it after the game in the press conference, and he said, hey, look, I mean, not only did he score 37, but pretty much everything he shot was a good shot. He was getting quality looks left and right, and uh, you know he finishes with those 37 points. He took 20. He took 31 shots in the game, 20 inside the arc, 11 beyond the arc. Made 15 of his 31 shots, and like Sean said, I mean, at least 28 or 29 of them were very good, clean looks, and and that just can't happen right now for Xavier if they want to have sustained, long, continued success this year. Well, and I think the biggest thing is you, you may look at those the shots, all the shots he took, and I, and I just went back and watched all of them right before we did this podcast. Some of those are tough pull-up dribbles, step backs. I mean, you know, t- tough pull-up jumpers off the dribble, step back moves, what have you. I don't think everyone considers an 18-footer step back necessarily an easy shot or a, a clean shot or a great shot all the time. But the problem is for Xavier is he's shedding a defender and pulling up wide open. And not only that, but you're just letting him play in a rhythm where it's like, you know, it's he's hesitation dribble, hesitation dribble, crossover, pull up into his jump shot, all in rhythm. It's not like like Sean said in the press conference. At some point, just go tackle the guy. Like, just <laughs> you're not going to sit here and dribble me, lull me to sleep with your dribble, ha- hang dribble, cross me over, and then pull up on me again. I'm not letting that happen. I'm going to foul you. I'm going to knock the ball loose. I'm going to get up into you enough so that you can't just keep your rhythm and do whatever you want here while you're handling the ball and trying to beat me one-on-one. I think that's more, for me, what it was about with Xavier's defense. It's like, it is wide open, or not even wide open, but like shooting a, a pull-up from 18 feet out in a one-on-one isolation necessarily a good shot or always a great shot no I I wouldn't say that but when you've got all the confidence that Primo Spears did working against Xavier's defense and you're able to get two feet of separation just by using a step back move and you're completely in rhythm and you've got your confidence sky high then yeah all of those shots are good shots and to let him get 31 of them it's a lot easier to take away shot attempts from a good player than it is to make him miss when he's in a zone like that's why you don't let him get 31 shots. Well, so if you're somebody like Sule Boom, who Xavier relies on so heavily on the offensive end, and now you're starting to see some of the weaknesses get exposed on the defensive end, where do you go if you're Xavier? I think that's the question everybody wants to know right now. And, and that's a really good question. I don't know what the answer is. I think your best case, and, and look, some of these guys, you're talking about the, the shooting guard is going to be a 6'4", 6'5", athletic wing. And that be- becomes a problem for Sule to match up with, too. But my instinct right now would be to get Sule off the other team's primary ball handler as much as possible. Because it seems like it's just been too easy for teams to come down and just either isolate him one-on-one or come off a high ball screen and immediately get into a, a situation where they have Xavier's defense scrambling and trying to recover and now close out to shooters in the corner or what have you, all because they couldn't guard the ball right from jump to start the possession. So, I mean, I think you saw that a little bit in the Georgetown game. I assume they had Colby Jones pegged to guard Brandon Murray. And then when he wasn't out there, after a handful of possessions, they finally just moved him over to Primo Spears and and took Sule off of him. But that would be, I think, what you do first. Um, And then from there, I mean, maybe you just try to spell Sule a few more minutes 
earlier in the game. You need him at crunch time. You have to have him on the floor a lot. So it's not like you know, you're going to limit his minutes much, but maybe you can find another two-minute span in the, in the first half where if you put Desmond Claude out there or you play Jerome Hunter with a, a bigger lineup and you, you keep Colby Jones on their, their best ball handler or scorer, and, and maybe that helps limit the other team's best player initially so he doesn't get so hot and in such a rhythm and really feel that momentum. So I'll ask the question just because we got a, a ton of questions about this on the message board, and I'm assuming people here will want to know. Where does Xavier go? We don't. We haven't really seen it much at all uh, with a zone. If people just want that, you know, you, you think to yourself, okay, what can they do tactically to to change things up? Well, go to a zone. I, I don't really think it works like that, but I, I'll open it up to you. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Sean feels very good about the the zone personnel that he has on this team. I think he feels that they're probably too small. They don't have great length on the perimeter. Like if you're a if you're a zone team and you're trying to make sure that you don't get killed with ball movement and three point shots on the perimeter, you want to be able to get deflections, get in the passing lanes, use your length to close out and challenge shots. Xavier doesn't really have that ability with this personnel. So I think that's part of it. I think rebounding, defensive rebounding becomes a concern if you go zone. I mean, I, I'm not saying rule it out entirely. I just don't think that Sean feels very confident with this personnel that they're a good fit for zone. And and I mean, by the way, even in a zone, you still have to guard the ball. Yeah. I mean, yes, you're going to have a little more help and guys aren't going to be worried about their assignments. But at, at times, there are still going to be situations where you're one-on-one against the opposing team's best scorer and he's going to isolate you and you still got to stop him from pulling up right over the top of you. And I mean, short of taking Sule and Adam and Zach off the court, I'm not sure how easy that's going to be. Yeah, no, I yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that one. I when you look at this and the way that Sean talked about it after the game on Saturday against Georgetown, he was livid. I mean, he spent almost the entire press conference talking about how poorly Xavier played defensively and how much they need to encourage, uh, you know, just just the even even the effort, just the defensive effort that he's hoping to get out of these guys right now. And you could tell how fired up he was that even though the team won, that he was still very disappointed in, in the kind of effort that they were giving on the defensive end of the floor. And it it begs the question, like, we've talked so much on this podcast in the last couple of weeks about how Xavier has just really been able to outscore a lot of teams. And when the defense has failed, they've still been able to rely on the offense and hit threes in a timely spot or go out there and just outscore whoever they're playing against. But Sean addressed that. Like, Sean said that directly in the press conference. Basically, that's not a sustainable method of success if you can't go out there and defend when you really need to. And if you're trying to win, not just in the regular season, but at Madison Square Garden or in March when it counts, you got to be able to even remotely defend. And you, you can't be letting the opposing point guard go for 20 and 30 points every night. Yeah, and I think that's what is really frustrating about it is that it felt like for a a little bit of a period there, this team was starting to turn a corner from the standpoint of, okay, they're not good defensively, but even against good competition here, you know, thinking about like the Marquette game or uh, the UConn game, for instance, and, and obviously you can talk about Villanova struggling and UConn struggling recently, all that. Maybe those wins weren't as good as we originally thought, but in those games, it felt like this team was turning a corner from the standpoint that they were able to, lock in and get a stop when the game was on the line late. And it did matter to them then. 
then all of a sudden in this DePaul game and the Georgetown game, you kind of lost that sense of urgency of being able to flip that switch late in the game and be like, okay, we're going to lock in and get these stops. Now that never happened in the DePaul game. So that's, I think that's what makes it really frustrating is if you were holding out hope that maybe this de- this team's defense isn't as big of a concern as it looks like because they're just special and because they get it and it does matter enough to them that they can get stops with the game on the line. Uh, that wouldn't really seem to be the case after last week. Yeah, I agree. And now you have a huge week this week with Connecticut on Wednesday night at 630. And then, of course, Creighton on Saturday uh, at noon. That's going to be a huge one. Just such a big week for Xavier. Big stretch coming up to where everybody all season keeps talking about how Xavier's been front loaded on the home schedule. And and now you have to go test yourself on the road. And it's a big week to be able to do that and, and to go out there and win these games away from home and, and show that Xavier, you know, if you look at the way that this schedule is setting up for Xavier, I mentioned this last week, no team since realignment has won the Big East with more than five losses or at least had a share of the Big East title with more than five losses since realignment. And if you go undefeated at home, that means you have to win two road games the rest of the way. Butler won and then won somewhere else, Seton Hall, or potentially you steal one this week. Now, does the Big East winner this year have five losses? I don't know. Marquette's looking really good. And if you look at Marquette's schedule the rest of the way, they have a very, very favorable schedule to close the season. I know Marquette has really struggled in, in February, and if there are any Marquette fans listening to this, they'll be the first to tell you. Golden Eagles have really struggled in February, but they have a favorable schedule to win the Big East if that is something that they can close out down the stretch of the season. Xavier's schedule is not nearly as favorable. They're playing good teams. They've already done the Georgetown roulette twice, and they only have one more game against DePaul, who's already beaten them. So. When you look at the way that this schedule is setting up for Xavier, they got their work cut out for them, but the road is in front of them with a, a half a game up now in the Big East standings. Um, I will say that if anybody's listening right now and wants to call in, we're, we don't have any calls in the queue right now, so if you have thoughts, you want to share anything, we're, we're doing this live so that we can hear from all of you. So uh, go ahead and take calls. Adam, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I see in here if there's anything that we've been talking about that – um, you have to add on. Feel free to to join in here. But if anybody else does too, um, I see uh, I see a lot of people in here that might have some thoughts. But Rick, anything more um, based on what I was just saying right there? Uh, I don't remember all of what you were saying, to be quite honest with you. So I would say probably not. Uh, go ahead and load <laughs> okay. up the calls. Uh, okay. I do remember you were talking about the schedule, and I will say I don't think Marquette is going to get out of this season with fewer than four or five losses. Yeah. I mean, I know that is that is the key is we're talking about four, basically four or five laws, but like I do not see Marquette running the table and only winning or only losing one more game, something like that. They have two losses right now. Yeah, um, yeah I think they lose at least like at UConn and then either home against Xavier or at Creighton, something like that. I, I just yeah. don't see them getting through this with only one more loss. I, I think they're a good team. I don't think they're great. All right, so we're going to load it up. Uh, I see Doc Rock is first up here. So, Doc, um, whenever you get a chance, whenever this connects, you are up and good to go. Hey, guys, it's your friend, the good Dr. Rock. What's going on, Doc? It's all good, man. It's all good. Uh, I'm looking at several scenarios, okay, Uh, that you guys are talking about. Uh, And I wonder if, uh, to start with, can you think of teams in the past national teams that have been in the same situation that we are. 
that uh, could at times play defense, generally couldn't, had a flaw at a position, uh, were in up around 100 defensively, top 10, top 20 offense, and eventually turned it around to get, to get it in the 50s defensively and uh, could, could play that second weekend. Because I think we're talking three things, right? One is, can we win the Big East? And uh, I, I tend to think that we can outscore teams and win it. On the road, I think we're going to – I don't think Marquette, Connecticut, uh, Creighton, all are going to beat us on the road. I think we're going to win one of them. I think we're going to. I think there's a very good chance we're going to win the Big East just by outscoring people. You guys agree with that? And now it's a whole other thing in March going to the second weekend. And 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 I think I think Sean really believes this team could be maybe an Elite Eight team. You know, I think he believes that if he could if he could figure this defense out or if the guys can do what he says. And and finally. How much of this you think is fatigue, this defense? You know, I mean, can they play as fast as they can, seven deep, uh, with that weave, which takes a lot of energy, uh, a big guy, that uh, Jack, that can't play that many minutes. We know that. So you're really, a lot of times, playing with six guys. You get a guy in foul trouble, you get five, and we're going to ask him to play full speed, high speed basketball, and intense on the ball, is that is that asking too much? That's that's all I got, guys. I love you. Maybe Doc, love you too. Maybe I'll be proven wrong about this, but I I just don't worry about the fatigue stuff like everybody else does. I, I don't I don't think that matters that much. Like it matters in each game a little bit more, but the cumulative thing by the end of the year, like I don't think this team is just going to all of a sudden break down by March because they're too tired. No, and I do think that there's a really important stretch there in the beginning of February where Xavier has like two weeks with only one game in it where they go, they play St. John's at home on Saturday the 4th, and between the 4th and the 15th, they only play one game, and that's right up the road at Butler. I, I think that that's a huge stretch leading into the, the, the home stretch of the season. That's a big two weeks where you only play one game, and you kind of get your legs under you and, and, and feel a little better, so I don't I'm I'm with Rick there. I don't necessarily worry about the fatigue too much. Your first question about the defense and thinking of historical teams outside of Xavier, and I will say from a from just a frame of reference standpoint, when you talk about teams that were talented offensively and in the '50s defensively, just for a frame of reference, Xavier's number one seed team in 2018 was eighth offensively and 57th defensively. Uh, so that's a pretty direct one. I'm not comparing the two teams on the court. I'm just saying if you're talking about in the 50s, style well, of well, play a lot. But, but, that, but that also, you got to think, that's a team that played pretty well through the second half of January and through February. They only lost one game, and that was uh, the Villanova game. So it's like it, that team got better defensively, too, at the end of the year. That number is their end-of-the-year number. I don't remember exactly what they were middle of the season, but my guess is they were probably more like 60s or 70s at least. If you're talking about teams outside of it, I'm trying to think back maybe the Iowa team from a couple of years ago. I know they got bounced early in the tournament. I think they, they might have lost in, was it the Sweet 16 or the second round? But they, I, I think it was the second round. They lost to Oregon, but that team could really score the ball, and they got better defensively as the year went on. 
but they were still in the 70s, I think, defensively. So that that's one comparison. That's probably not the one you want to hear because they didn't even make it out of the second round. But um, I, I'm trying to think of one that comes to the top of my mind. Rick, I don't know if you have a non-Xavier one that would are stick you, out to you. Are you talking about the Luca Garza team from uh, 2021, yeah, I think? That team could really score, and they couldn't defend. And you don't want to hear that because that team didn't make it past the second round. But that was the first team that came to my mind. Yeah, but the, I mean, they did end up with a two seed in that tournament. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just saying tournament success. Sure, sure. But I mean, like, you know, I, I, I get we're to the point where we can start talking about, like, is this team a second weekend in the tournament type team? But I think it's also good to remember perspective. Like, if this team makes the tournament and wins a game, that's going to be one hell of a season. <laughs> you know, if they if they make the tournament with a top four seed. That's one hell of a season considering what the expectations were coming into the year. So I know we're in a different spot now, but I'm like, you know, I'm thinking if this team is a, a three seed and, and they happen to lose to a team like Oregon in the second round of the tournament, I think you can probably live with that given the defensive issues. Right now, bracket matrix. Now this was last updated. Oh, yesterday. Okay. Today's the 23rd. This was yesterday. Xavier is the last three seed in the tournament right now. Iowa state is one seed above them. Virginia one seed below them. Xavier is the highest seeded Big East team, two above Creighton, or uh, sorry, Connecticut, who's the second four seed, and Marquette is the third four seed. So everybody bunched up right there. And man, you look at Ken Palm, Rick, and how good the Big East is right now. I know everybody wants to talk about the Big 12, and the Big 12 is the best conference in the country. But the Big East right now has the number 22, Xavier, number 13, Creighton, and number eight, Marquette, and number six, Connecticut teams in the country that's wild it is well and you know the other thing when you're looking at what xavier has left something that's going to be really important now because of the loss at depaul is you've got to make sure you don't drop home games with st john's with butler or really either butler game because that's well no butler at butler will probably be quad two right they'll stay in the top 100 yeah so that'll probably be a quad two but the home game against butler you got to worry about the home rematch with DePaul, the, um, oh gosh, home Villanova is probably a quad three now, right? You got to win that home Villanova. How wild yeah, so, is I mean, that to say? <laughs> that, yeah, Villanova is now a quad three opponent when you play them at home. That's not great. Uh, but you, I think that's the one concern you do have now with the DePaul losses. You really want to try to avoid picking up that extra quad three loss on your resume the rest of the way. Now, I don't think that the one quad three loss is like any type of big deal. Most resumes are going to have that by the end of the year. Someone slipped up along the way. And the one thing Xavier really has going for it in terms of their resume, I know a lot of people were worried about the DePaul loss and think, oh, that's going to kill their seeding, what, what have you. It really shouldn't. I mean, Xavier's in a great spot right now in the sense that they have nine quad one and quad two wins. They're uh, nine and three against quad one and quad two teams. Five and three against quad one teams, four and zero against quad two. So they have really done a great job of stacking some high quality wins now, and that is the most important thing at the end of the year when you're you're making your, your tournament selections. They're going through the seeding process. It changes a little bit from year to year, seemingly what they value in terms of metrics. But something that has seemed to be pretty consistent is they value your good wins more than they value your bad losses. Yeah. And I've posted this link on the message board before, but if anybody wants to be able to see how we talk about all this stuff, bracketologists.com, just bracketologists.com, does a great job. It updates in real time. 
Uh, it puts the net, it puts the team sheets, everything together. If you want to see where your team stacks up in, in the quads and everything else in the net, all that stuff, the AP Top 25, that's all on there. Um, it, it's an invaluable resource, so uh, I, I look at it all the time. But um, just to give people perspective, too, on on where the brackets stands right now, if you're Xavier, uh, you're not thinking about this, but we as as the people covering the team – you know, we talk about it. It's, it's what we do is we talk about this stuff. I mean, you have two NCAA tournament sites that are within a two-hour drive of you, right? You have Columbus, you have Louisville. Outside of that, there are drivable cities, but none nearly as convenient as Columbus and Louisville this year. And if you have an opportunity to get a protected seat and potentially play uh, in one of those cities, I mean, that's – in the first weekend. I think Louisville's a first weekend city. It might not be. I could be wrong on that, but I know for a fact Columbus is. Um, if you have an opportunity to do that, then I mean, what an absolutely, you know, dream scenario if you're a top four seed. Yeah, Xavier Nation will take over those cities. All right, yeah. we've got Adam Baum on the line. He's he's requested in. Adam, what's going on? Man? Hey, guys. What's up? What's up? Just getting packed up here for the road trip tomorrow. Oh, What time do you fly out? I I don't know why I did this, but my flight leaves at 6 a.m. So, oh, yeah. Oh, no. It's all right. Well, you'll have a lot of time to explore the city. I will. Yeah. Um, I I just wanted to, I'm sure that you, maybe both of you listened to Sean Miller's radio show tonight. And he said something that I found pretty interesting that I thought was revealing in the sense that, like, I, I think we're at the point where they're starting to really think about how can we get our best possible defensive lineups on the floor a little bit more? And this was actually in relation to a question about Cesar, um, who has, who hasn't really played at all recently. Um, but Sean gave him a lot of credit for, for the way that he's sort of stuck with it in practice. And he, he hasn't checked out even though he's not playing. And he said something interesting to the effect of, you know, maybe one of the things that they can experiment with, And this is actually why, you know, last week I thought was not a – it was bad because they lost it to Paul, but it was bad from my perspective because those were two games where I thought, man, if you can take care of business, maybe you can play with your rotations a little bit more, get some of these guys who haven't played a bunch a little bit more run and see what they can do, see how those lineups shake out. And you weren't able to do that. This week, it might be even more difficult to do that because you really want to try to win one or both of these games. But Sean was basically like, hey, maybe we can throw Cesar in there at the four and move Jerome Hunter to the three. And then you've got Colby at the two and and Sule or Dez at the one. And that sort of gives you a bigger, more physical, more athletic lineup to defend teams with. Um, so I thought that was like that was probably one of the more interesting things that I thought came out of Sean Miller's radio show tonight. Not, I'm just curious what you think of that. Without a doubt, I thought that was uh, the most eye-opening comment that he made, and I, I'm interested to see what that lineup will look like defensively. I mean, the the funny part about it is, Adam, when you think about that lineup, I, I mean that would almost seem to, to be like a, a line of you might go zone with yeah. more. Um, but he didn't seem to suggest that at all. He said, we'll be bigger and more athletic with it. 
Um, I'm curious to see what what they would do with that look and, and how you would match up defensively. I don't know if that solves your problems because, quite frankly, I think a lot of their issues have come against opposing point guards. Now, some of that is your bigs haven't been good in your your different ball screen coverages, and, and they're partly to blame for these issues against opposing point guards too. But, um, yeah, I thought that was an interesting comment. More than anything, I thought it was just interesting to hear what he's thinking about Cesar Edwards right now, which he seemed very high on the job Cesar Edwards has done from the beginning of the season to now from where he was basically out of the picture to now they're like trying to find ways to change the lineups to get him on the court. Yeah. And I mean, if you remember back to last year, like Cesar was essentially a non-factor the entire season until that road game at Seton hall when Zach got Zach got ejected from the game and Cesar had to come in. And I think he, he had like nine points or something in his first ever big East game and obviously, you know, you can't you can't necessarily bank on him just, hey, dusting it off when you haven't played hardly at all and coming in and being like this factor that's immediately going to turn things around for him. But like it's interesting to me that that we've reached this kind of tipping point where it's like, hey, we need we need to try something different defensively, something that can maybe give us some some life or, or help us get string together some stops. So. Uh, that's one of the things I'm going to be looking at this week. But like I said, you know, if you're if you're in a tight game with UConn, are you really going to throw a lineup out there that you really haven't played? Or if you're in a tight tight game at Creighton, like, are you going to start tinkering with stuff right now? Like, it's see, that seems a little bit risky to me as well. Exactly, and that's why I thought the the comment was more interesting from the standpoint of what he was saying about Cesar than it was. Oh yeah, we're going to completely start changing our, yeah. our defense and playing new lineups because like that just seems a little far-fetched for me that they're going to bust that out against UConn this week or something. Yeah. No, but I, that Adam, did, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that was the, the point that I wanted to make that I wanted to bring up, but what do you got for me, Paul? Well, I, I just wanted to know if you talked or got any more from kind of reaction over the weekend of how everything went down. I know Sean was obviously pretty upset in a press conference afterward, but I didn't know if there was any more reaction that you got that, that you could share or anything from the last couple of days. Um, not really. I talked, I talked with Fremantle after the game one-on-one briefly. And, you know, Zach is one of the more interesting guys to talk to. So, um, it was, it was, uh, it was fun to catch up with him, but, um, in terms of like further reaction and stuff, I think not really. Um, I think that there was a sense that like, Hey, at some point Xavier's going to slip up. Like you're, you're not just going to keep running through the big East the way that you were. Um, you wish that it didn't happen against a team like DePaul, but to Rick's point earlier, like now, you know, I, I still, in my mind, think that 15 wins in, in the big East is probably going to be enough to, to either win it or tie for first. Like, I don't, I, I'd, yeah. I'd have to look through Marquette's schedule and, and see if they if they have a real chance to get to 16. But it normally seems like 15 is kind of the number. And you think about it, if you can sweep sweep Butler, a, a team that just looks all out of sorts right now, um, beat DePaul at home, we basically win the rest of your games at home and go two and four on the road the rest of the way, that gets you to 15, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Yeah, that's the path. That's exactly the path. Yeah. And then hope that Marquette slips up too somewhere. I, I honestly like. I think this Xavier team is still. I know a lot of people are really down on the defense because of the DePaul loss, 
and rightfully so. I mean, the defense stinks, no question about it. But this team as a whole and the way they've performed so far through Big East play, I think they're still very much in contention to win the Big East Conference. And like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not as concerned as I think a lot of fans are about the defense and it being a, a complete collapse. I think fans are more concerned because they love Sean Miller so much. And when Sean is upset about something, I think they also <laughs> shoulder that burden. So, um, that's where I think the like the the tension comes from a little bit right now is that like a lot of people live and die by what Sean Miller says. Sean would have been exactly the same in 2018. Yeah, like if he if he was coaching this 2018, which got a one seed, he would be exactly the same. Absolutely miserable about the way they're playing defense. That's a good point. and and rightfully so. Yeah, <laughs> they're not they're not good defensively. <laughs> no, and you know. I, I agree with you that that I still think this team can win the Big East. And, you know, they have four losses right now by a combined 14 points. Like, to this point, for, for as bad as they've been defensively, no one has really been able to separate away from Xavier and, like, blow their doors off or anything. Like, I just think that, that you know, for as hard as the schedule might be coming down the stretch, like, I don't. I don't get the vibe that teams are just going to like push Xavier over and, and run over them and, and and beat them in just like dominant commanding fashion. I think that they're going to be in a lot of these tough games and the way that their offense works, like if you're in these close games, you're going to have a chance to win them just because you can score points and you can get the ball to Sule and he can get to the line. Like that, I, I wouldn't be as concerned right now. I just think a lot of the concern comes from like, Oh, Sean Miller's not happy. Therefore, I am not happy. <laughs> yeah, and that, and I and I get that. But to steal a line from the the Bengals, and it's something that I always believe in basketball. They have to guard us. Yep. You know what I mean? Like there's two sides of the floor, and it's like, yeah, Xavier stinks defensively, but they're a monster on the other end. So uh, you know, if you don't catch them on a night with their two best players, go four for twenty six. More often than not, they're going to be pretty tough to beat. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's all I got. Unless you guys got anything else for me, Adam. What uh, what's on the docket in Connecticut? You got anything that you're looking forward to out there? Yeah, um, I don't know logistically how it's gonna work, but I, I know some people that that are making the the Connecticut road trip, and we're talking about maybe trying to sneak up to uh to New Haven and uh and try some of that pizza scene there because I hear it's it's world renowned. All right. All right. Get the, revu- get the reviews going out. Yeah. And I'm going to a, a steakhouse on Friday in Omaha. So I'm going to get a big boy ribeye. That's what Omaha I like to hear. Steaks, yeah. right? <laughs> shout, shout out Omaha Steaks. That's right. I mean, they haven't given me anything in like 14 years. So I'm not sure if I'm still like their spokesman or anything. I'll but put in a good word for you when I'm there. Yeah. It was a great time period in my life for sure. All right. Thanks, AB, Adam. appreciate you joining us, man. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. You too. Uh, I see Josh in here. We'll let Josh in, and then Johnny's after. Uh, Josh, you are connected here. You're What's up. going on, guys? How you doing? What's up, Josh? Nothing much. Uh, a couple of things. First, Rick, uh, I hope you enjoyed that drubbing that uh, Northern Kentucky gave to Purdue-Fort Wayne. Uh, that was not a very fun yeah. game to recap uh, back in the Summit City um, and to make it uh, even worse, I got to call Purdue Fort Wayne's next game on a Wednesday. Shameless plug. Um, 
uh, elsewhere. Oh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I, I, that's I did. What I'm saying I, I really hope you enjoyed that that drubbing because uh, yeah, that was that was not pretty on our end. Um, let's go back to Xavier though. I, I going back to uh, Miller's presser on Saturday after the Georgetown game. Um, what really stood out. It was towards the end, almost like a, a little bit of a throwaway line. But Sean Miller, it almost se- seemed like he was calling out uh, Colby Jones in some way. You know, he mentioned how Colby's really got to pick up his defensive play. And I feel like, you know, if he's able to elevate it, like our overall defense can elevate. But I don't know that j- that just really stood out to me because I can't recall the last time a coach in this program specifically called out one guy or called out a player in that type of setting. And I'm almost wondering, Adam, you mentioned, you know, you talk with, uh, with Fremantle. Did you have a chance to talk with, with Colby as well? Um, and maybe get his, maybe get his thoughts on that because, uh, that, that really stood out to me. Um, just challenging Colby because, you know, he is by far the best two way guy on this team. And, and for Sean to uh, publicly acknowledge that he needs to, uh, pick up his play. Um, Definitely stood out uh, from my vantage point. Well, I think what Sean sees from that standpoint is if they are going to get better defensively or if they are going to at least have the chance at these end of game situations to lock down and and get stops, it falls directly on Colby Jones' shoulders. He's going to be the guy drawing that that matchup. And against DePaul and even Georgetown, there were times he was getting beat one-on-one too. And, And I will say, I think some of that is due to He's trying to make up for some of the other weak links. He's worried about being in a help position, and he starts to see a guy get beat, and he wants to slide over a little bit into more of a help spot, and then he's got to recover too far to his man. There's some of that going on for certain, but also, Colby can be better, and I think this is what Sean's talking about when he says it has to mean more to these guys, is he's trying to get through to Colby that for this team to, to reach whatever that is, the second weekend of the tournament or whatever their upside is, it has to come with Colby being a monster on the defensive end. And without that, without it meaning a ton to him on that end of the court, they're probably not going to be able to achieve those types of things. So I think that's where Sean's coming from mostly is, is just trying to get Colby to understand how important this is for him to reach his potential on defense. Colby, uh, Colby and Zach actually went before Sean in the press conference. So I didn't get, to explicitly talk to Colby about uh, what Sean said, but having talked to Colby enough over the years, I think Colby might honestly appreciate that. Like, I don't think anyone likes getting kind of dragged or or questioned for their performance, but Colby in terms of his demeanor and the way that he handles things, I, I think that it, it could be a beneficial thing for him to be like, Hey, you know, there are things that I need to do better and coach clearly believes that I can do these things. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think that Colby's probably going to handle it the right way just because he seems to have a good handle on everything like that. In my opinion. All right. Josh, Josh, anything, anything else? else? No, that's all I got. Thanks for all you got. Thanks for all you do. Appreciate it. All, all right. right. Appreciate it, Josh. Load them up. I don't, we don't have any more callers, do we? We got one more here. All right. I don't know how this works. Sometimes you can see guys and I can't. I don't know how that works. I also have one question that somebody submitted to me on Twitter that I think you'll like. So I will I will ask that after this is done. Okay, great. And otherwise, load them up. But, Johnny, you're in. Johnny. Hey, guys. Uh, you know, thanks for doing this. Uh, you know, first-time caller, long-time listener. 
Um, one question I had for you. Um, you mentioned earlier about going to the zone defense, uh, and you mentioned uh, size being an issue there. I was just curious. I happened to look it up. Xavier's got basically a top 25 average height. Uh, no Big East team, taller. Yeah, that's not really the issue. It's more length. It's more length on the perimeter. It's not really like Jack Nungy isn't tall enough, you know? I got it. Okay. That was really my only question. I wasn't 100%. Yeah, the, the issue is Sule Boom and Adam Kunkel both being not long, not athletic, not being able to cover ground. So you can't cut down. You can't recover to shooters as well in the perimeter. You can't cut down on passing lanes as well. I got it. That makes complete sense. Uh, but, you know, I would have been remiss if I hadn't brought it up. So thank you for the answer. Yeah, no, that's, no. no, that's a good question. I completely get where you're coming from. It's not really an inside thing. It's 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 more about the, the concern for every coach when they go to a zone is that they're going to get torched on the perimeter. And teams are just going to throw in threes against them. That's why you, like, you constantly see a college coach, they'll go into a zone for one or two possessions, a quick three will happen, and immediately they freak out, turn to their assistant, like, we're getting out of it. Because like coaches can't think rationally in those situations. So I think more than anything, that's the fear is that the other teams are going to be able to sling it around the perimeter, get good ball movement, and just unload on threes. And like, I mean, Xavier hasn't exactly been good at defending the three-point shot already. They rank, you know, 292nd in the country right now in three-point defensive percentage. So I think that's probably most of where that concern is coming from. I got it. And I would be, of course, you know, not questioning any decisions, but I did see that and wanted to ask. So that's my, that's really all I got. Thank you. Yeah, and, Go ahead, Paul. Well, I was just going to say, and the other thing is a lot of, I've seen some people mention, you know, you think back to like, well, you know, they, they played the one, three, one, but if you remember JP McCura was at the top of the one, three, one, and he was a really tall, lengthy guy who could get out there and extend his arms and get into some of those gaps. Sule and Adam Kunkel are not that. So it, it, it's much different personnel wise. I also think um, overall, it's just something that they don't believe in a whole lot. I mean, that's not who Sean Miller's been as a coach. So he's probably going to be more reluctant to switch to something like that. But all, all of this being said, I'm not trying to rule out zone as a possible option for this team. I think it's still uh, feasible that they might end up playing it some a little bit at some point along the line. And I'm not when like fans suggested, I'm not trying to dismiss it as, oh, it's a terrible idea. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, here's why I think they're not using it more right now or not trying it more. All right. Cool. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm seeing a couple more here. So let's go to Yuli requested. Great profile picture, as always. Let's see if we can get this loaded up. Yuli, yeah. you there? I was just wondering what your keys to the game against UConn is, because I know that a lot of people are saying that, oh, uh, Xavier hasn't won a, road a good road game yet, and what would this win mean for you guys, just NCAA tournament-wise and just as a team? Well, I would say that, you know, obviously for a, a national narrative, this would mean a lot for the people that just cover the sport nationwide, given Xavier the, the kind of respect that people have talked about with trying to go on the road and win a game. But even more so than that, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking on this show about how Xavier needs to – win a couple of these road games to really put themselves in prime position to win the Big East. And at least winning one game this week would do that. And I know UConn just beat Butler by 30 the other day, but we've also seen all the issues that UConn has had before that Butler game. So going on the road, being able to win in this, I think this game is a gamble. I don't think that this is at XL. I think it's a gamble, um, you know, which is uh, it's a different kind of environment. And it would be a game for Xavier to, to say, hey, look, 
I mean, it would it would far and away be Xavier's best win away from the Centos Center. That's not even remotely, uh, you know, that that's that is that is far and away uh, would be a fact there. So for Xavier, it's just one for the resume. You know, it would be another quad one win under their belt, and, and for two, it would just be can they go out there? Can they defend? Can they score as well as they did against UConn the first time? Well, I think UConn is really one of the best matchups in the conference for Xavier, simply because what gives Xavier the most trouble? Opposing scoring guards, right? Yeah. UConn doesn't have, have a point guard. That, that's their big issue. If you have a point guard that can break you down and make plays and, and get into your defense, Xavier really struggles. I think they fared pretty well against UConn defensively because UConn doesn't have that. I mean, they held UConn under a point per possession in that game, which is one of their best defensive performances in conference play to this point. And, you know, Tristan Newton had six points in that game. And he's kind of been the de facto point guard for UConn. Basically, it was Andre Jackson that you had to worry about the most. Xavier just said, let him sit out there and shoot threes and we'll live with him going four for 12 from the outside. And so be it. I think that's kind of the same approach you take. You do as good of a job as you can on Sunogo. You try to limit him, and hopefully they're not throwing in threes. Yep. Thanks, Julie. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, I think Doc Rock requested one more time. Doc, you there? Colby a little bit. Uh, This is off topic, uh, but, uh, you know, I have have way too much time on my hands. And I I, I looked (laughs) at the mock NBA drafts, and I looked at four of them, and I was – kind of surprised that Colby was in the first round in the twenties on three of the four. Uh, in the past, when I've looked, he was second round on most of them. Uh, and the segue for me is it's to Colby's benefit to play defense, not just this year, but if these NBA scouts are watching him and they're looking at him as a role player, you know, him playing good defense is only going to help his stock and his paycheck. So uh, I don't know uh, what you guys think about him as a first rounder, but apparently the guys that do the mock drafts think he is. So I'll leave it at that. Well, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to speak for Rick. Um, I'm not even going to sit here and try to pretend to be any kind of a projectionist on a, on an NBA draft board. I I don't really follow the draft too much or, or any of that process, Rick. I don't know if you have any more on that. I, I don't follow it at all, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't know where, where Colby is going to go at this point, but I think more that is more to do with the type of prospect that Colby is. Uh, could he be a Josh Hart type player? Yeah, I could see that. I could see him having a, a nice long career in the NBA as a, a role guy who defends first and foremost. So you're right, Doc. He has to prove that he can be an elite defender at the college level so that teams trust him in the NBA to be a, a role guy off the bench they can bring in and, and guard an opposing team's score on the wing. Second, He's got to keep knocking down shots from the outside. That's where he's really raised his draft stock this year, and that's why you're probably seeing him rise up the boards on some of those uh, mock draft projections. And then third, and this is something that at times he looks great at handling the ball, making plays, finding his teammates. You'd think, oh, well, he's done that at a really high level for a wing, which is true. But then there's also just these weird turnover issues that he has at times where he'll have four or five turnovers in a game. He needs to eliminate those games altogether, clean that up completely, Teams will not want to see that from an NBA perspective. So if he can continue to keep making plays for his teammates without turning it over, he knocks down the threes. And then, like you said, Doc, if he defends at an elite level the rest of the way, then I think he could be a first-round draft pick. But 
I think we're still he's he's going to be on the border all year. It's like he could probably go from anywhere end of second round to end of first round, and it wouldn't really surprise me. He's got that much range right now at this point. You know, something we should say uh, just quickly, Najee Marshall is having an incredible year for New Orleans. If you're not following the NBA at all, or if you're not following any of the old Xavier guys, Najee is balling out down there in New Orleans. Rick, I don't know how much you followed it, but he's having a great year. But Najee is really talented. I mean, yeah. Najee, the thing about Najee is he's 6'7 plus with elite athleticism. So he yeah, always like, had the physical tools. He just had to get some of the other parts of his game and his mindset right. And, uh, you know, probably playing at Xavier at the time that he did hurt him. I mean, it probably things were a little dysfunctional and things obviously didn't go according to plan. It probably didn't help him to be at Xavier during the years that he was here for. Yeah, I mean, he's averaging over 25 minutes a game and over 10 points a game. Ten and a half points a game and just over 25 minutes a game. He's not getting, like, throwaway minutes at the end of the game. He is a very effective role player for the Pelicans this year who, who uh, you know, I mean, he's having a good year. So, so credit to Najee um, for all that. But um, I'm looking. I don't see anybody else in the chat, so I'm going to go to the question – uh, that I got asked on Twitter today, right. and I don't, uh, hold, I don't. And hold up, before you, before you read that, if you if you do have a request, you want to get in here and talk to us, load it up now. Otherwise, we will probably end it right after this question from Paul here. Okay, so I got asked. Um, let me let me make sure I have it from the right Twitter account. Um, I see Jerome Hunter fan club in here who responded to it, so I'm going to make sure uh, we uh, we we give it. Here we go. Ben Tiplo asked me this question. Won't be able to tune in tonight, Paul. But one question for you. A team of only Jerome Hunters versus a team of only Sule Booms. Who wins? I'll hang up and listen. Thanks. Rick, Damn. your thoughts? Sule Boom. Really? Yeah. That, that easy? Without, yeah, without question. Hmm. I, hate, I hate to say that to Jerome Hunter fan club, but a team of Sule Booms wins that matchup. Hmm. All right. Jerome Hunter fan club. He's in here. I'll, I'll give him a response to this. Go ahead, Jerome. <laughs> Downvoting away. Go ahead, Jerome. Glory to our Moses, Jerome Hunter. Second of all, Rick, you're out of your mind. Amen. You're out of your mind. Okay, g- give me the give me the explanation. I'm willing to listen. Size, size. You're gonna have to do a little bit better than that. He, I mean, he's got size on Sule. Yeah, Sule might be able to like you know do a little speed demon around him or whatever. But it's Jerome Hunter, he's got the size. He's got the length to get right in front of him and block him. Yeah, Sule's probably going to have to shoot from, like, Mason in order to make anything to get into Cintas. But, I mean, this is – it's Jerome Hunter's court. I don't know. I don't see it any other way. And all apologies to Sule, but Jerome Hunter is king and god. Let me ask a quick question here about the rules of this matchup. Are there fouls being called? They're calling They're yeah. calling them correctly, I'll tell you that. They're calling them correctly. Okay, well, then then, then Jerome has no chance. Oh, then Jerome has no on. chance. That's a, he'll, first of all, if, if there's a foul-out rule, he'll be out of the game within the first – all five of them will be out of the game within the first few minutes. Second of all, even if not, even if there's no foul-out, Sule will just live at the free-throw line. I can't help it. Jerome puts his gameplay on the line for this team so that Sule doesn't have to foul. Just remember that. Not right. I, Hey, I agree with you. He's playing his role perfectly. That's just not the question that's being asked. You didn't ask me, should Jerome play a different role for Xavier this year? No, he's doing great. But you asked me, could five of him beat five of Sule Boom? And that's just not the case. Well, I, I will mention this. You are, you're somewhat correct. And B, I didn't ask the question. I already know the answer. It's Jerome Hunter. But <laughs> <Okay>. fair enough. <laughs> but I, I do. I have one question, actually. Um, and so, you know, there's been a lot of talk about conferences 
this and that. And so I noticed, I think it was like on the top 25 today, it's like Big 12 has the most, and then it's the Big East. And then I think from there, I think like the Big 10 only has one, a power five, I think like ACC maybe have one or two. But then you look at like the bracketology predictions and stuff like that, and then it's like Big 10 has 10 teams going in, and the Big 12 are after that, and like the Big East, again, has the same five. My question is, from your guys' perspective or opinions, do you value more of what the AP Top 25 is saying or more of what who's getting into the tournament as you determine which conference is better? It definitely oh. the latter. Yeah, the tournament, absolutely. Yeah. The AP poll, unfortunately, it does have some value because it like dictates whether or not you appear on scoreboards or on the tickers on ESPN and all that stuff. So like, I wouldn't say it doesn't matter, the Top 25, but the people who are voting in the Top 25 do not matter. They're completely irrelevant. They have no clue what's going on. So, yeah, that makes it kind of irrelevant. I or at least a bad that. judge. I agree with that. I think at least the thing that peers out to me more is like if you look at a conference like the Big East, right, where they got the same five in the tournament projected in the tournament on the top 25. But then you look at a conference like the Big Ten where you only have Purdue in the top 25, but then you have 10 teams going out there. And it's like national pundits will be like, well, Big Ten is a better conference. And I'm like, well, you can make that argument, but you could also just make the argument that there's a lot more bottom teams in the Big East but the top teams in the Big East could probably handle most of the teams within the Big Ten outside of Purdue. Yeah, I think that's a fair argument, especially this year. And like, honestly, the Big Ten is overrated. And this whole thing they've got with every team in the Big Ten getting in the tournament every year now, that sucks. Like they've, I mean, I, I would say they've got to figure out the way to fix it, but that's not what's happening. We're, we're actually going the opposite direction. It's just going to be more and more Big Ten teams, more and more SEC teams getting in the tournament. So that sucks. I agree with you. Um, I think the, the Big Ten is overrated, particularly this year, and they will get way too many teams in the tournament. So, yeah, I think the, the Big East is better at the top than the Big Ten is for certain this year. But um, overall, in general, if you're asking me that question, I would usually say it matters how many teams you get in the tournament. Agreed, agreed. Uh, thank you guys for doing the spaces. And, Paul, make sure to stand up to Tom during the show, okay? You let them know that people <laughs> care about college basketball, okay? Jerome Hunter Fan Club for sure cares about basketball. So thank you guys. That's all for me. Don't you worry, Jerome. I will keep fighting the fight for college basketball. Uh, the best part about that is we just call that guy Jerome because of his handle on Twitter, and that's not his name at all. Well, but it's too ha- it's too long to just yell Jerome Hunter Fan Club every time we talk to him. What are, what are we supposed to call him? I'm just going to keep calling him Jerome. Me too. All right, we got one. I got Hurley Mania waiting in the wings. Hold on. Well, if we're going to do this, will someone else also request? I don't want to do this UConn crap to end the show. We do this too often. Oh, that's true. Good point. Hurley Mania. Yeah. There, don't end the show on a low note. What do you yeah, got there's for nothing it? worse than a guy who, because of his screen name, gets to get called a name that he actually hasn't earned. I hate guys like that. Um, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> First of all, if it's a one-on-one game, it's absolutely Jerome Hunter. If it's a five-on-five and we've cloned them, it, it's Sule Boom. That—that's the correct answer. Uh, Jerome. Hunter. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, Paul, do you agree with that? No, I think I'd rather have five. I think five Jerome Hunters have a better chance than a one-on-one. Like, I would much rather have five Jerome Hunters going against five Sule yeah. Booms and one-on-one. I agree. One-on-one is no chance for Jerome. I I think Jerome can stay in front of him. I think if you have five Jeromes, though, eventually Sule's going to run two of them into each other. You know, flashing to the post and stuff. But they're both... 
uh, good players. That was that was my traditional over analysis of this incredibly important uh, Xavier point, though. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, we appreciate uh, that. I I actually okay. only jumped in to let because somebody mentioned people coming out. If folks are coming out and they can't make it to New Haven because uh, New Haven and stores not exactly near each other. Uh, one of the famous New Haven pizzerias, Pepe's, is the one that sold out, and they have a bunch of franchises around the state. There's one that's kind of near UConn in Manchester. Uh, it's not as good as the original, but still good. So that was my one little travel tip. If you can't do New Haven to stores, uh, just go to Manchester and go to Pepe's. You'll get the you'll basically get the gist of it. Uh, other than that, no, just excited for Wednesday. It's a huge test for my guys, uh, obviously, but uh, looking forward to it. That's it's going to be a hell of a challenge. I, I hope my team isn't sick. That would be a nice change of pace. So, what is, what, what is is that the excuse, right? And I, I mean, I don't mean that in a derogatory term. I'm not trying no, to take no, shots, I, but like, what what is the what is the narrative right now around UConn land of what's going on? Why why is this team lost five of seven? Oh oh well, the good news is uh, our fan base is being extremely normal and calm and rational about it, and not of, of course, completely yeah. panicking. No, uh, I, they're kind of in their heads. The weirdest thing about it is that in three of the five games, they had a double digit lead. Uh, they've been killed in the second half. I was at two of them on the road. That was fun. Really enjoyed that the drive back from Newark last week. That was real fun. Um, no, they they've been uh, the defense has been an issue. Uh, that you mentioned the lack of a point guard. It really kind of came to bear. The one positive is that Tristan Newton's actually played two good games in a row, including the Seton Hall disaster where he was the only guy who was any good in the game, even though it ended badly. Um, so they've kind of. Yesterday, they, I mean, it's Butler, but they, they kind of simplified things we talked about in our space. They went back to what the plan was in the first place of trying to establish Tristan Newton as the point guard, which is in his natural position. But there was talk about rotations and chain lineups. we got people that want him to play Klingon and Sonogo at the same time, and they haven't done that yet. I do think you might see that on Wednesday because of the size that Xavier has. I don't think you'll see a lot of it. Uh, in terms of actual illness, like that – the coaching staff all went through COVID and they all seem to be through it. Uh, in terms of players, uh, Donovan Klingon had a non-COVID illness that he's he played through. So I'm just hoping he feels better, but otherwise everybody's uh, healthy. And they got Samson Johnson back, who you might see a little of, though I'd be surprised. He started opening night for UConn, hurt his foot and didn't play again until yesterday. He's a uh, 6'10 forward who the staff is insanely yeah. high on, but has barely... Xavier recruited him. Yeah, he well he yep. he was like letting a puppy out yesterday. It was great. He comes out there. He he shot a three. He's running up and down the floor. They kind of had to. They kind of let him run run himself ragged just to see what they had. I don't think I don't think you'll see a lot of him Wednesday. But um, if Xavier gets you kind of into foul trouble on the inside, he's gonna play. So that's one, and he'll be rusty. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Xavier tries to force the issue inside. I would just like Jack Kungi right. not to be sick around my team this time. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. All right. That would be great. But All right. We, we appreciate you, appreciated your call. You started off pretty well. But uh, like all these UConn guys, they just talk and talk and talk. And, They're like, so annoying. It's it's no wonder their spaces last 50 hours. I mean, like these guys just <laughs> keep going. You can't even get a word. It, it's unbelievable. But like uh, I appreciate him shouting out the pizza joint, hopefully – uh, Adam Baum heard that, and I, I have to just say, I'm watching our screen on Twitter here as I'm listening to this guy talk, and Jerome Hunter fan club is just sending off constant down thumb emojis the entire <laughs> yeah. time, every second. It was just a blinking icon of him putting thumbs down, so uh, shout out to Jerome Hunter fan club, who, who always keeps one, me laughing during these. I see one more in here. 
Yeah, and of course it's a Creighton guy now. So we're gonna go from. Well, we gotta uh, cover all the bait. We gotta cover all the bait. <laughs> That's fine. We'll do a, a Creighton preview too. Guy. Let's go, Drew Blue. True Blue. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, so Creighton fan here, as the name would suggest, and also a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Uh, and it's kind of, oh, no. kind of an interesting weekend on the horizon because last year, AFC Championship weekend was just absolutely brutal for people like me. As you may recall, Jack Nungy just went berserk in the second half against the Jays, and uh, Joe Burrow and the fellas did something similar in the second half against the Chiefs. So I am very much hoping for a flip script this weekend. But uh, a question I have. Hey, uh, yeah. can I ask you a question real yeah. quick? Back in the day, I'm not proud of this, but I used to listen to the the Jim Rome show back when it was in its prime on uh, Fox Sports 1360. Did, did you ever have you ever heard of the term Bohica? I have not heard of that term. It's an acronym. It stands for Bend Over. Here it comes again, <laughs> big fella. Get ready. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see how Mahomes' ankle is doing. But uh, more to the point of of this conversation. Uh, curious, like, are you at all frustrated by kind of the structure of, of Xavier's schedule? And is there maybe pressure built up because of the early success and and i guess more broadly with the uh the big east race how do you see the the winning team ending up i got like i think ken palm said 15 and 5 was the latest projection i've seen for uh best record but just kind of curious like how you feel about the the pressure around xavier with the uh maybe soft early schedule well i think the way that it sets up for xavier i mean as far as how the schedule goes there's nothing you can do about it with the way that the schedule is set up because that's, you know, you, you just got to play the games in front of you. So from my perspective, looking at it, you just got to, you just got to handle the games that you, uh, you just got to play the, the, the cards that you've been dealt on that perspective. But I do think there is something to the having to go now after you've played a lot of these teams at home and you have to play them on the road in the second half of the Big East schedule. But They've set themselves up confidence-wise to say, hey, look, we've already beaten these teams. Here's how we've beaten them. Here's a recipe for success. Now let's go try and do it again. I already mentioned that I think Marquette has a pretty favorable schedule down the line here through February as far as the Big East goes. I know Creighton has a pretty favorable one, too. They have both the Georgetown games left and a game against DePaul, plus the two St. John's games as well. I know St. John's is having a, a, a decent season, and um, you know, they're not necessarily a pushover, but that's a, a game that Creighton, you'd like to think if you're a Creighton fan, you're winning both of those. So from that perspective, you know, Creighton and Marquette probably have the easier road than Xavier does. But at the same time, Xavier's won all these games already pretty much. So, you know, from their perspective, it's a, hey, we've done it once. Now, why can't you just go do it again? Yeah, I was, I was sort of of the opinion early on that the top four or five were just like, way ahead of the rest of the pack and that it would be a matter of holding serve at home. Uh, I think, you know, St. John's and Seton Hall and others are beginning to disprove that. But um, I do think Saturday is a huge one. And uh, I do not envy the week that Xavier has ahead with both, both UConn and Creighton on the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, with the narrative that's existed about this team and their late season collapses, the schedule kind of sucked from the standpoint that it was always going to set up for them to perform worse in the final month and a half of the season than, you know, the first month of conference play. So from that standpoint, it stinks, I think. Um, but I'll be honest, like my favorite team and the, the team I broadcast for play seven of their last eight games on the road to end the season. So I don't feel bad for anybody. <laughs> that is brutal. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate you letting uh, a Creighton fan chirp here and uh, should be a fun weekend. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks.
I'll, I will admit we're going to bring in uh, Nate Oates burner account. And for a second, I didn't quite see the picture and that he has sunglasses on. I saw Nate Oates's head. I saw a blue check mark next to the name. And I thought, did Nate Oates just join our Twitter live spaces? And why the hell would he? Be? Oh, no. No. But, uh, it's Nate Oates burner. Not, not quite the real Nate Oates here. But um, I know you guys are obviously this more Xavier centric space, but I figured you guys would be more knowledgeable in the Big East. That guy kind of uh, asked what I was going to ask, but I, I guess how many teams do y'all see? The Big East is a lot stronger than I thought it'd be um, at the beginning of the season. I thought y'all would have three, maybe four teams that you know were you know top seeds in you know the tournament, top four or five. Um, are y'all surprised at all that the Big East is is as good as it is this year? Because I feel like y'all are you know one of the top three conferences, you know depth-wise and, and strength-wise? No, I'm not. I saw fe- uh, Big East fans freaking out early in the year because teams were losing non-conference games to other conferences, and uh, they were like, oh, no, we're not going to get teams on the tournament this year. And just like every year, you get into mid-January, and there's four or five good Big East teams at the top again and clearly in the tournament. So, you know, it'll be the same as every year. Four or five, six teams will be in it, and, uh, you know, three or four of them will be pretty darn good teams. Yeah, that's kind of my thought process because, I mean, you know, early in the season, obviously I'm I'm Alabama fan, so I follow SEC, and Mississippi State beat Marquette. And, you know, looking back on that, that's like, wow. Because <laughs> Mississippi State's 1-6 in conference, and they're just – they have no offense whatsoever. So just surprising to see some of the early results and then how they – obviously you go through the year and you see these teams change and evolve and, you know, get better. So, um and also hoping y'all y'all pull out the the W against Creighton, uh, a hated rival of Alabama's. After about ten years ago, they beat us in the tournament. So <laughs> I, I've learned something new tonight. I did rivals. not know Alabama and Creighton were hated rivals. Jones locked down Relaford on that last shot. That's all I got to say. No, yes, <laughs> you got to get this Creighton guy out of here. Big pull it, pull it, <laughs> pull it for Where for Paul? We have lost control of this show. We now have Alabama and Creighton fans arguing over hey, our fine. Twitter spaces. This is right where we want it on a Monday night with Big 12 on TV right now. Goodness gracious. Hey, uh, I, I just got to say, Nate Oatsburner, I to your point about Alabama, I have watched a ton of Alabama basketball this year, and they are a lot of fun to watch. So just enjoy what you're watching right now. Oh, trust me. I, I am, and I'm trying to get you know some of our other – our other fans to enjoy it as well. Obviously, Alabama, a huge football state. Um, I'm unfortunately trapped in this state, and basketball seems to only be cared about when the teams are good. So I, I'm really trying to get people to to focus in and, and get to the games, cheer these guys on, because this team is really special. Yeah, I mean, th- yeah. Yes, they are. They're a ton of fun to watch, and if anybody's listening that hasn't watched the SEC this year, Alabama's been fantastic. So Nate Burner, can I ask you a quick question too? Yeah, go ahead. How often do you watch the or listen to the Paul Feinbaum show? Uh, very rarely because right now I can tell you what they're talking about. They're talking about um, spring college, practice, college football recruiting rankings, and the classes coming in. Yeah, we're we're getting close to spring football. So yeah, that that's what's being talked about on that show. It's the SEC, pal. All right. Well, we Thank appreciate you, it. Uh, do you see any more uh, requests here, Paul? Any any Xavier guys I, trying to get in? 
Uh, I see. Actually, I see one. Let's get there. We go. Here. End with Jake. End with Jake here, unless we get any more Xavier people, because it's time to watch uh, Baylor Kansas. I. I. Yep. Had a pretty good pod here tonight, Rick. <laughs> I'll be interested to see what people think of this one. I uh, definitely okay. didn't didn't think I would learn tonight that uh, Alabama people hate Gonzaga. Yeah. No. 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 Creighton. Great. I'm sorry, Creighton. Yeah. Hated rival, heated rivalry. Wait, I see one more. I see another John. I don't know if John's a Xavier fan or not. The floor is yours, John. Hey, um, I joined late to this pod, so um, I got a question. Um, I got season tickets to Xavier uh, like starting two years ago, but uh, I only have one concern about this team. Well, besides the defense. Um, and aside from Fritchner yeah. roaming the arena, walking by your seats. Um, <laughs> the... Like the death, like of this team, like they we only play like seven, you know, eight guys. Do you guys see that being a big problem? Like once they make the tournament, like I don't know. That's like my big, like my only I, my only you, worry, I guess. I'm glad you brought that up because I've seen some talk about that, and it was something I wanted to talk about on this pod, and I I kind of forgot about it. When you get down into the nitty gritty of the NCAA tournament and the teams that are there at the end, they're really only playing seven guys by the time you get down into the final four anyway. Now, every once in a while, you'll get teams that are going a little deeper than that. But, like, you look at Villanova last year, they're running six, seven guys. That's that's just how they go. You, you get down to the guys that you trust, and that's who you roll with. Well, and then Moore got hurt. They, they only had five guys, I think, by the end of the basically yeah the deal there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I we did talk about this a little bit earlier, and I, I said I don't worry about that nearly as much. I mean, I worry about – the fact that they have a huge drop-off when they have to go past their top seven. If they have to deal with an injury or they have to deal with a guy getting in real foul trouble, and I'm not talking about two early fouls. I'm talking about, you know, the guy's out of the game. He's fouled out with 10 minutes left, or he's got four fouls early in the second half, and you really have to sit him down for an extended period, like half the half, 10 minutes or more. That's where I worry about this team because there is such a significant drop off and I don't see the upside. Like I don't see the guy sitting on the bench. You're like, oh, if you put him in, he might do okay for those 10 minutes. It's like, no, there's going to be a real problem. So I worry about the depth from that standpoint. I don't worry about like some cumulative effect of, oh, they're playing too many possessions and they don't have enough guys. And by the time they get to March, they're all going to be worn down and tired. That That's not a concern for me. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. All right, anything else, John? Oh, that's it. All right, well, we appreciate it. Paul, I don't see anybody else. Do you see anybody else? I, I, I see two more. Um, we're going we're gonna to do these two. Uh, we're going to go to David and then Johnny, and that's it. All right, show. let's do it. All right. David first. Thank you uh, for taking this. Um, I only saw a little bit of the DePaul game on Wednesday, a lot of the Georgetown game. But the one thing that uh, really stood out to me about the DePaul game was the mashed up zone, and I thought that gave Xavier problems. I'm wondering if you guys could talk more about whether you think more teams would adopt that, or is it more of the switching defenses? I'm sorry. So, so you were asking. You said uh, you want to know what Xavier's going to do if teams play more switching defenses. Uh, no, if you think the mashed up zone was the bigger problem for Xavier against DePaul offensively, or do you think it's more just like I thought the mashed up zone gave Xavier a lot of problems? on Wednesday, and I was wondering if you think more teams are going to try try to do that. Gotcha. Um, I think, you know, what they probably played about 10, 15 possessions of zone in the second half. They might have played one or two in the first half. 
talking about DePaul in that game. Um, it it was somewhat successful against Xavier in that matchup, but I thought that had a lot more to do with the fact that Xavier was missing shots that they normally make, and some of those were point-blank shots at the rim from some of their best players. Um, I don't get the sense that a lot of teams will see that as a good strategy against this team because they move the ball really well. They're shooting a high percentage. They don't have a lot of three-point shooters, but they are shooting a high percentage from three, and they rebound really well, too, and they have good enough size inside to where you worry about them beating you up on the defensive glass if you go zone. So I don't think you'll see it too much more, but I think teams are going to try to do anything they can to break the rhythm of this team's offense as you as you get later into the season. So um, would I rule it out? No, definitely not. You'll probably see it some, but I don't know that it's a big concern for Xavier going forward. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you, guys. Um, I lied. I said Johnny was going to be the last one, but I'm going to bring Ben in here real quick just because he asked the Jerome Hunter Sule Boom question. All right. Well, Paul, make- hold on, hold on, hold on for a second, Ben. And I, I, thanks for joining us. But uh, Paul, what do you think of the? Oh no, I Sule I Boom? think I, I would take I would take Jerome Hunter five Jerome Hunters. If it's one on one, I'd take Sule. I would take five Jerome Hunters. You would? I think I would. I, I think the I think the length he could get out and make Sule just. Long threes. I, I would take five Jeromes. Including in a game with fouls. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so. D- okay. Depends who's repping there. If we got Brian O'Connell, That's I don't true. know if Jerome Jerome Hunter's entire team survives the whole game, but um no. Well, no, if you got Brian O'Connell, you can just flop and get the charge. That works out in Jerome's favor. That's true. That's true. I don't know if Jerome's a big flopper though. Um, no, that's true. But another question here, Paul. Um, this one's specifically for you here. I know the past two games. Um, at the TV timeouts, people are wondering, I, I forget the gentleman's name that's helping you out this year, but I believe his mic hasn't worked the first time of the past two games here. People are wondering, is that it strategically cutting his mic to try to get some more airtime there? Clear. That, obviously. Thank you for, thank you, Ben. Thank you for bringing that up. That it is obvious what Fritschner is doing and it's disgusting, quite <laughs> frankly. People are it asking. is. I'm, no, trust me. I'm ashamed of my own. It, it's it's a poorly done sabotage effort that I just have not executed very well. It's 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 bad. It's shameful, and I promise to do better. Okay, Ben, thank thank you for bringing that to our attention because I meant to bring that up, and it really is just disgusting what Paul is doing to that young man. <laughs> it is. I feel bad. I both times I've walked off the court and felt terrible. Oh man, it's just that hard to get a working mic in Centos. We get it. Hey, thanks, guys. Well, I mean, God, if it's anything like getting the Wi-Fi to work in that place. How, how can Cintas be so good at updating everything and, and making such a great game day experience and they just can't figure out Wi-Fi in the year of our Lord 2023? Oh, I know. I know. It's brutal. Get it together, Iser. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, Johnny, you are the last one. Into this space the right way, Johnny. I had to miss the uh, middle part of the spaces, so if you already answered this, just tell me to listen to it, listen to the recording. Uh, we'll answer it again. We like is, you. Oh, thank you. Uh, this is back to the Georgetown game. Uh, as we all know, Primo kind of just ate our lunch a little bit. Um, what would be – what would have been, like, you know, a good way to stop what he was doing? Because it seemed like so much of it was just kind of off the dribble. and he's, He was dribbling, doing that little yeah. step back. And that little step back seemed to just create so much space. And he was doing it pretty much over and over again. What would have – I mean – and it seemed like nobody could really figure that out. What would have, I mean, what would have been something that could have been done about that? 
No, this is, this is actually really good, Johnny. This is a good point that you bring up because I think a lot of people look at what was going on in that second half and you're like, well, you got to change something def- defensively. You got to make some type of adjustment to what you're doing. But Georgetown didn't have to run anything to get the shots that they were getting. They were basically using a high ball screen most of the time. And then when they weren't doing that, sometimes they were just letting them go one-on-one and isolate. So to your point, yeah, a lot of times it was just you had to be better on the ball defender. The one thing Xavier did adjust on the high ball screens, um, and then they changed their their coverages up throughout the game. Nothing was working consistently. But I thought the thing they did best in the second half is they made more of a point to hot, hard hedge those ball screens, basically have Nunji or Freeman or whoever the big man was guarding the screener jump out up and hedge and basically double team the ball briefly to make Primo pick up his dribble and pass it and then try to recover from there. Now, obviously when you do that, you leave a roller open, roll into the rim, or if you have a help defender there, you leave a shooter open in the corner and you have to scramble back into position and you might get beat that way. And they did at times, but for the most part, I thought making Primo Spears give up the ball and let someone else beat you had to be the answer at a certain point. And they tried to do that a little bit with ball screens. He started just going isolation, not even using the ball screen. So at that point, I don't know what you do other than maybe just run a flat out double team at him and send two guys, go take the ball from him. Or like Sean said, like you just got to be a little more physical. Maybe it means you pick up a foul. Maybe it means you tackle the guy and you get thrown out of the game. But at some point, pride has to come into the equation. You can't just keep getting, you know, step, step backed falling three feet backwards as he steps back and shoots a 18 foot jumper over top of you, like at, in rhythm, it, it can't keep happening over and over again. I think that's probably where the challenge in Colby really came from. He, he wants to see Colby take on that challenge more and more because he actually has the physical ability to keep up with a guy like that and, and not get abused. One-on-one. Well, cause I was thinking back to the, uh, the Marquette game where, you know, Colick kind of, he had a monster first half, but uh, it seemed like in the second half they started making him go to the right a little bit since he's a lefty. Yeah, that was I'll say that that was overblown. Like the whole handedness thing, it's not really about that because most of the times they're just using ball screens. It was about the ball screen coverage more than it was like you got to this isn't fourth grade basketball. It's not force the guy left or right. You know what I mean? Like I know some of them are more, more dominant going to one side, but most of the time they're coming off a ball screen either way. So it's not like you just got to set up and for- make him go to his other hand. I don't think that was as big of a deal. I think it was more about the issue was the on-ball defender, Sule Boom, in the, in the first half of that game, was getting killed on screens, not able to get over him, not able to fight through him, and was out of the play. And then the big guys weren't great in their drop coverages either. In the second half, Colby Jones was on the ball. And he did a much better job of guarding the ball, being more physical, fighting through screens. And overall, their their drop coverages were better from their bigs. Yeah, too. It, I mean, it did seem like you had mentioned their, uh, their other, Georgetown's other two scores were not playing. And, uh, you know, Wahab and Akuk didn't really seem to do all that much. I guess one of they had they had double digit points, I suppose. But it seemed like, uh, you know, they should, shutting down Spears was the main thing. And it just couldn't seem to happen that game. Yeah, and I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast too that um, something teams have started doing to Xavier, and it's not it's not just against Xavier. It's it's a popular action that a lot of teams are running in general. It's called the Spain PNR, Spain pick and roll, where they come up, set a ball screen initially, and then another player comes up and screens for the screener. And so, like one guy will roll to the rim after that, the other guy will pop out to the top of the key, and you still have to stop the ball. The guy who came off the ball screen. And all of a sudden, it just adds another layer of confusion. You've really got to be on it communication-wise and and help-wise with your defense. And Xavier has struggled with that action a lot, too. So I think you're going to continue to see more teams throw that at them and see how they respond to that. 
I got it. Uh, thanks again, Rick. Much appreciation uh, to you and Paul for doing this. I love it. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate you guys uh, joining in and and uh, asking questions here. I think that's the last one we're going to take. You don't have any more, do you, Paul? Nope, that's it. That's all I'm seeing. All right, good deal. Well, uh, thanks to all you guys for joining us here. Be sure to subscribe to musketeerreport.com, the message board. We've got good stuff going there. A lot of great basketball talk. Also, subscribe to the Rebound Rundown podcast. You can get it on any podcast app. It comes to your phone every morning, gives you a nice preview and recap, a nice recap from the night before, and then a nice preview of the games ahead for that day in the college basketball landscape here locally. Uh, and Paul, you can take us out. That's all I got. Yeah, I appreciate you listening, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Um, I think Monday is probably a pretty good idea for when we'll be back on regular schedule next week, and we'll talk to you next time.